You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left, but again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back, because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, our ghost host... Hello, and welcome to Paranormal Pets. I'm your host, Brandy Stark. And as we're here today, it is a dark and stormy night in St. Petersburg. We are getting buckets and buckets and buckets of rain. And so I thought this would be a perfect time to talk a little bit about my favorite holiday and yours, Halloween. So when we get back, we'll take a look at the history of Halloween and some of its animal symbolisms. And we have a couple of articles to catch up on. We'll see where it all goes. We will be right back after these messages. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get six dollars off your order of sixty dollars or more, and up to forty percent off the entire Petco site. That's right, but that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of forty nine dollars or more. Six dollars off, up to forty percent off. From Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I don't make any decisions about who to hire without going to Angie's List first. You'll find reviews on home repair to health care written by people just like you. With Angie's List, I know who to call and I know the results will be fantastic. Angie's List. That you can trust. Go to Angie'sList.com forward slash best and get 25% off any subscription. That's Angie'sList.com forward slash best. B-E-S-T. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. 
One of the first things that I wanted to share with you, in case you've not seen these, these are some fantastic Halloween decorations from Hallmark.com. I found mine at CVS, and they are actually called My Pet Ghost. They each have personalities, and they talk. This one is Maxwell McSpooky. And check that out, he has a pet cat. If you haven't seen these, what they are, they are little plastic jars with a hole that you can look into that projects an image of a cute little ghost. And on the top it says, press here. And when you press there, you get a ghost that talks back to you. So Maxwell McSpooky is my personal favorite. He's a bit of a science nerd, because when you look in, he's got all sorts of beakers and tools. And he has a little pet cat in his jar. And uh, he's just a jolly little fellow. Let's see what else he has to say. I love these things. I think I'm going to take one to work. The other one that I have found is called Genevieve Ruffles. And she is a good girly ghost. Uh, Let's see what she has to say when I tap on her jar. Oh, wow, I'm pretty. (laughs) Let's see. We'll give you one more shot. She's got a cat, too. Hold on here. (laughs) I just think these are the most hysterical, adorable things ever. They do come with little tags that say, My Pet Ghost and their name. Nestled in a cool and cozy bottle, this pet ghost makes a lively, fun addition to any loving home. Gently tap the top of the bottle to let Genevieve know that she has company. Within seconds, she'll appear and you'll hear what she's up to. Whether you care for one pet ghost or collect them all, you can be sure they'll be hauntingly happy to have a friend like you. Now, to date, I've only found two. I've tried to go to Hallmark.com to see what other ones they have. They've got to have a whole collection. The only thing that would make these better is if the ghosts would communicate with each other. If you got a collection and then they'd have, like, a conversation when you push the top, you know? That'd be really awesome. But maybe I'm asking too much. So, for those of you who are looking for some pithy little Halloween decorations that are really cute and quite memorable, there you go. I would also like to talk a little bit about A Pet First. This was published in the Tampa Bay Times, October 2nd, 2012. And it says that a New York animal cemetery is now on the National Register. The article is by Jim Fitzgerald of the Associated Press. Another cemetery has been added to the National Register of Historic Places, but this one's a little different. It has dogs and cats and iguanas and a lion cub. The 116-year-old Hartsdale Pet Cemetery in the New York City suburbs is the first animal burial ground to win this honor. The designation is a fitting way to recognize the long-standing and significant role pets have played in our national history and culture, said Carol Scholl, interim keeper of the National Register. Kevin Moriarty, a historian for the Register, said for that Hartsdale is the only pet cemetery among the 2,698 cemeteries on it. 
He said Hartsdale is notable because it marks a sharp change in how humans related to animals. It was in the early 20th century that pets began to be considered family members rather than livestock, he said. Before then, a dead animal was likely to go out with the garbage. The cemetery became popular with artists and celebrities. George Raff and Mariah Carey have buried pets there. About 75,000 animals and 700 pet owners are buried at the cemetery, which is on a woody slope in Hartsdale, about 20 miles north of Manhattan. Its many evocative markers often draw tourists. One, written by a man about his cat, reads, Here we sleep forever. I am my beloved BB my loving companion for 14 years. Another marker has 16 pet names engraved into granite. In 2008, a travel guide listed the cemetery among the world's 10 best places to be entombed, along with the Taj Mahal and the Great Pyramids. Hardsdale briefly ran into trouble with state regulators last year for allowing pet owners ashes in with their animals, but the regulators eventually relented. Ed Martin Jr., president and director of the cemetery, said he was delighted with the historic designation. A celebration on the grounds is scheduled for Saturday. As you can see, my pugs are also very, very excited. Martin said the new status may help him win grants to help preserve the cemetery. Some of the old mausoleums need to be patched up and some of the old walkways, he said. There are monuments that tip or sink. We take care of it now out of operating funds, but it does add up. So that is actually going to be on my bucket list. I want to go see this cemetery. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going. Now, I thought we'd take a minute to talk about Halloween. Uh, This year, uh, I've been asked to speak a little bit about Halloween and its history. So I chose to focus on Halloween in America and where it came from. And then we will talk about some of its animal matchups. So Halloween began about 2,000 years ago. It was part of Celtic paganism that came from Ireland, the UK, and northern France, mixed with Roman religions, early Catholic Christianity, and northern European folklore. We have to take all of that, because I'm looking at American Halloween, and we have to filter it through an American lens. Originally, Samhain was what was celebrated the night October 31st to November 1st. It was the time between the old and new years, and as such, the rules of normal time and space were suspended. This is where you get the idea of the thinning of the veil. Plants that kept the dead at bay were also dead. If you think about it, we have the dead in the ground, and on top of the dead are plants. And what happens in the UK right around October is the advent of fall and the cold weather, and the plants, which are living beings, die. Therefore, the barrier between our world and theirs is gone. So, ghosts of the dead returned to Earth during this time. They caused trouble and they damaged crops. They made some good things, though. They made it easier for the Druid priests to work for divination, to make predictions of the future. Uh, Kind of almost a form of necromancy, if you want to think about it that way. And it does make some sense because the dead are outside of normal space and time. So they actually observe time in an entirely different way, and they can probably see the future. People were fearful to go out at night because of all of the dead hanging out there, so they dressed in masks and costumes to help blend in. The Samhain celebration itself, they built huge sacred bonfires in which they burned crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. So, sorry to say, that is one paranormal pet connection right there. 
They wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, a second connection for the paranormal pets, and they did attempt to tell each other's fortunes. The end of the celebration was actually kind of cool. They would put out their home fires early in the evening, and at the end of this bonfire, they would come back and they would take a piece of the bonfire home and relight their own hearth fires. You see this also in Rome as kind of a community celebration with the Vestal Virgins. Really cool stuff. Speaking of whom, who should show up next? But my beloved Romans, they show up in 43 CE, and over the next 400 years, they rule. They combine two of their own festivals with Samhain. The first is Feralia, uh, which takes place in late October. Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. With the celebration of Pomona, traditionally on November 1st, they also combined aspects of worship of Pomona, who was the Roman goddess of fruit and trees, with uh, Samhain. And interestingly enough, Pomona's symbol was the apple, which represented love and fertility. She also incorporated fruits and nuts, because that was also what was offered to her, into this celebration. This is perhaps where we get our connection to apples, bobbing for apples, and there are divination games with apples, such as in Scotland, where on Samhain you would carve an apple peel into a single long strip, then toss the peel over your shoulder, and however the peel landed, it is believed that it would land in the shape of the first letter of the woman's future spouse's name. Do you follow all that? Take an apple peel, one long strip, Samhain night, throw it over your shoulder, see how it lands, and it's supposed to spell the first letter of your future husband's name. I I guess I'll try that this year. See who Mr. Stark will turn out to be, huh? And then, of course, in America, here's what we do. We take these apples, we dip them in horribly fattening, sugary substances like candy, (laughs) candy apples, and we hand them out to children. Brilliant the whole way through, as you can see. But unfortunately, due to the negative media, candied apples lost their popularity, I think, in the 80s with the advent of the people who allegedly put pins and razors inside the apples. This apparently might have happened. Nobody was really injured from it. But the media got a hold of this story, and they blew it up so big that it's really hit the status of urban legends, you know, becoming... I know somebody who knows somebody that had this happen to them, even though it was very, very localized to just a very small area. And it created this national scare, so no more candy apples for us, huh? We have to make our own. Christianity comes in after Rome falls, and interestingly enough, the Christians had a festival celebrating the dead on May 13th. Well, in 834 CE, Pope Boniface IV designated November 1st as something called All Saints Day, and I apologize, wow, that's a loud car, a time to honor the saints and martyrs. So in 834, the Pope purposely moved All Saints Day from May to November 1st, and Samhain was the night before All Hallows, which is kind of a... a, a, old English way of saying all the holies, right? All holy people, all hollows. And eventually Samhain became All Hallows Eve, which should start to sound a little more familiar, like, let's say, Halloween. In 1000 CE, the church added November 2nd as All Souls Day as a day to honor the dead. 
And once again, what do we see coming back? But bonfires and parades and costumes. Although in this time period, people dressed as saints, angels, and devils. So when you mix these three holidays together, they become known as Holomass. Trick or treating. Trick or treating developed in England because on a certain day, actually all, all Hallows Eve to November 1st, the poor would go begging for soul cakes. So when they went out begging for soul cakes, it was called they would go a soulin. And soul cakes were kind of these square pieces of bread that were filled with currants. Families would agree to give soul cakes in return for a promise to pray for the family's relatives. So in return for this food, the beggars had to pray for the family of the people giving them the bread. And if you uh, are familiar with Christianity at all, Catholic Christianity believed very heavily in purgatory, particularly during this time period. And ultimately, you would help get somebody out of purgatory by praying for them. This practice was eventually taken up by children who would visit houses in the neighborhood and be given ale, food, and money. Ah, the old days when you could hand out ale to kids, right? Today, obviously, that has transformed. We now give candy. For those of you who are curious about candy, uh, how about candy corn, which was invented in 1898. In that time period, candy corn was made of sugar, water, and corn syrup called a slurry. Fondant was mixed in and marshmallow for a soft bite was mixed into that. Uh, I have no idea what they're made of today, but that is what they were made of then. When Halloween came to America, Initially, it was not celebrated very heavily here because, particularly in the New England colonies, we were pretty heavy into that Protestant thing, right? So, essentially, you would find Halloween being practiced in Maryland and in the southern colonies more so than in the Northeast. But they did sort of mesh European and Native American beliefs, you know, about souls of the dead walking among the living. The first celebrations, initially, when it was becoming more popular, they were public parties celebrating the harvest. Stories of the dead were told, as were ghost stories. People's fortunes were read. Dancing and singing was held. And there was mischief-making and pranks. Ah, yes, bring that right on back in, right? And by the middle of the 19th century, uh, the annual autumn festivals were very common. But we're not talking Halloween yet. We are still talking about autumn celebrations. This is going to change when the Irish immigrants come to America, particularly in the 1800s. My own family came over fleeing the uh, 1846 potato famine. My mother's father's parents actually were, were from Ireland. And they brought with them some new ideas for Halloween. They began dressing up in costumes. They would go house to house asking for food or money. And women would practice divination again to see who their future husbands would be by doing tricks with yarn, apples, and mirrors. One Irish contribution that I'm sure you're quite familiar with is the jack-o'-lantern. The Irish used to carry turnips with candles in them to light their way at night and to scare away ghosts. When they arrived in America, they found that pumpkins were more plentiful and easier to carve than turnips. A truly American tradition, pumpkins originated in South America. There are 30 varieties, and the most popular is the Connecticut field pumpkin. Here's your little paranormal pet tidbit, though. 
In the 19th century, people believed that pumpkins could cure freckles, wrinkles, and snake bites. And they also believed that it could cure diarrhea in animals. And of course, the weird thing is that I heard just the opposite, that it cured constipation in animals. And in fact, you can buy cans of pumpkin specifically for animals for those that have digestive issues. So there's your tip. Be careful about eating that uh, pumpkin pie, by the way. In the late 1800s, the desire to make Halloween into a social and neighborhood gathering uh, was really pushed, and there was less emphasis on ghosts, pranks, or witchcraft. Through the turn of the century, people celebrated with parties for both children and adults. They focused on games, food of the season, and festive costumes. Adults were encouraged by the media to actually take out the scary and grotesque parts from Halloween. They were really trying to par this down a bit. By the 1920s or 30s, to the 30s, Halloween was a secular, community-centered, and less superstitiously-based holiday that had parades, community-wide parties, and, once again, vandalism. Vandalism made its return. Where do we get Halloween today? Well, Halloween today starts off in the 1950s, where it was pushed to become kid-friendly and child-centered. Vandalism was discouraged and limited. The holiday was directed mostly at the young, and parties moved from civic town centers into classrooms and homes, uh, mostly for accessibility. Between the 1920s and 50s, trick-or-treating revived as an inexpensive way for the town to celebrate the holiday together. It helped families prevent tricks and vandalism by providing neighborhood children with small treats and allowing parents to keep an eye on them. Today, Halloween is second only to Christmas as a retail holiday. $2.5 billion is spent on costumes annually, and if you mix in candy, Americans spend $6.9 billion on Halloween every year. Can you believe it? So now that we've taken a quickie look at Halloween itself, let us check out a few of the spectral animals associated with this holiday. And actually, I think we'll start that right after these messages. We'll be right back. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection, exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. Plus, free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Vacs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. 
Hi, I'm Lisa Smith Putnam, the host of the new and exciting show, Your Pets, My Dogs, here on Pet Life Radio. Your Pets, My Dogs will feature celebrity interviews, we'll talk to everyday pet owners, and more. Listen, I am here to entertain you each and every week, right here on Pet Life Radio. Again, that's Your Pets, My Dogs. I'm your host, Lisa Smith Putnam. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back. With Halloween, we have some associations with... Some animals that we consider scary, including cats, bats, owls, spiders, and toads. And I don't know about you, but I put out my Halloween decorations. Actually, this year I was early, September 30th. Normally, I wait for October 1st. They only have 31 days to be out, right? So you got to get them as much time as possible, and then they sit in the attic for the year. Well, amongst my decorations, I found giant spiders that I hang from my oak trees in the front yard. And I have a couple of really scary looking black rats. Uh, I figure the rats, you know, my pet rats ought to have some say in Halloween. And these guys are all black with glowing red eyes and a scowl. So I put those on the porch, you know, where people walk up and there are these rats scowling at you, right? I also have skelemingos, skeleton flamingos, which I adore. I don't like regular flamingos, but give me skelemingos and I am a happy camper. I'm sorry to say the skelemingos are actually out all year. My neighbors avoid me, but it's fine. So let's check this out. Halloween likes bats. And part of the reason for this is because in the Middle Ages, bats were kind of supernatural. They flew through the air, they caught insects, they looked scary. But the way that bats maneuver, if you've never seen it, it's remarkably and eerily smooth. And for them to catch these small insects seems a little more supernatural, almost mystical. Now, of course, in the Middle Ages, they did not know about radar or sonar, excuse me, radar for bats. Sonar is what we use, so my apologies. But they believed that bats, when they slept, first of all, in caves, which in symbolism is a form of liminal state, meaning it's an in-between state. It's where you put the dead, and it's the entrance to the underworld. And so bats are already there at the entrance in the underworld. They gather in droves, and they sleep. And not only do they sleep, they sleep upside down. And when they curl their little arms together, their wings become cloaks, like the witch's cloak, right? The sorcerer's cloak. And so if you look at a bat, they very early on become associated with witches. There was a belief that bat blood was used in witches spells and was actually rubbed on the witch's body before their black sabbath. So there you go. Bats is a scary thing. Of course, they also take on a new world flavor here because of the vampire bat in South America. The vampire bat drinks the blood of animals and people, which is kind of creepy. It does appear that bats do not have the same correlation with vampires. That seems to be something that kind of comes 
along later in their mythology and is most likely because of the vampire bat as a predatorial, blood-drinking creature. But what a lot of people don't realize is that even though bats are scary and they look like gargoyles or demonic, if you ever look at them, they've got those big old ears, kind of weird noses that actually matches the demonic imagery that you see from the Middle Ages, oddly enough, the distorted figure. But they look scary. They are not scary because, of course, what do they do? But they eat insects and flowers. Actually, they help us out by keeping the insect population down, which I've always found interesting. The second creature that's a good Halloween symbol is the owl. Now, oddly enough, the owl starts off as a positive symbol of Athena, the goddess of wisdom, perhaps because of those large golden eyes, right? The uh, Halloween owls, the eye in the West is associated with literature, learning, and reading. Western ideals, we record things, right? We write things down, and we're very, very visual here. In the East, you would see something a little bit differently, where they have an oral tradition, and so the ear is emphasized more so than the eye. But in the West, we like eyeballs. And so the owl has these great big all-seeing eyes and a head that turns 360, right? So, well, close enough, 180. But of course they would become really associated with Athena, the goddess of wisdom, the all-knowing. Unfortunately, they also become associated with Diana, her semi-counterpart, and Diana is the goddess of the moon. And owl eyes, of course, are huge. They see phenomenally well in the dark. And of course, they do that weird head thing again, right? The weird distortion of the body that kind of creeped people out back in the day. So the owl, by the time of Rome, is associated with Diana, the goddess of birth, death, and ghosts, and crossroads, and very scary things. And by the time we get into the European Middle Ages, the owl stare was very fearful, and its screech was also feared. Because the screech owl, in particular fairly common to Europe, sounded like a witch screaming. And some believe that witches, in fact, turned into owls and that they were communicating with each other. Some people today still believe that the call of a screech owl signifies death or impending disaster. Then, of course, up next is the cat. Now, we have an entire episode in Paranormal Pets on cats. But I will summarize it quickly. They become associated with sorcery. There you go. Frigga of the Nordic cultures, uh, Bast and Sekhmet of the Egyptian cultures, goddesses of magic. And because of their eyes, they're associated with the moon. And then they have these really, really freaky mood swings. And they seem calm in disastrous situations. And they can see things that we can't see. And they can hear things that we can't hear. And it just seems magical. And so who gets associated with Halloween faster than a cat. They're mysterious. They're strange. They're already linked up to goddesses of sorcery. So it makes sense. Unfortunately, um, initially they became associated with witches' familiars. And a familiar was something that kind of augmented the witch's power. The black cat was not the initial familiar. Any cat could be a familiar. And actually, in Europe, during the witch trials, cats were killed along with their witches, with women who were accused of witchcraft, because they thought that the cats were the witches' familiar. Even after this, people distrusted cats because of the stealthy way they move, those sinister yellow eyes, and their calm demeanor during scary times. And 
Eventually, the black cat is linked with bad luck and the night and darkness, and so it becomes associated with Halloween. Plus, arching, hissing, growling cats are very scary. Unless you're in France, and then the cat, the black cat with the arched back that's kind of hissing and its hairs on end, that represents a cat in heat. And it actually represents a, it used to back in the day anyway, the subculture of uh, prostitution that unfortunately at the time unadated the French. And if you're French and listening to this, sorry, but check out your history, it's there. Monet, good guy. If you're curious about cat sayings, Never let a cat into the same room with a corpse. It might be a demon and turn the dead soul into a vampire. A ship with a cat on board is never wrecked, for the cat acts as a counter charm, since it's linked up with the devil and witches. A cat that sits with its back to the fire is raising a storm. And if a cat rubs against you, yay, expect good luck. If it yawns, opportunity awaits. I just couldn't let the cat be a fall guy, as you can guess. And of course, our last animal here is the spider. Spiders are kind of mystical, magical, because they spin webs. And it's interesting because in other cultures, spiders are seen in a very positive manner. In Hinduism, the universe is the web of God, right? The web of the godly spider. In Native American cultures, there's grandmother spider who spins, there we go, the web of the universe. And then you have Ananzi, the trickster spider of Africa, etc., etc. But because spiders are fairly methodological uh, in creation of their web. It seems very well planned, almost spell-like if you ever watch it. And then, of course, they capture insects. And they're very calculating killers in that respect. The insect gets caught. There's nothing you can do. And the spider creeps up and then bites it and injects venom into it that mushes up its organs. And then the insect dies while the spider sucks out its guts. I mean, yeah, I guess I can see why that might be a Halloween theme. Even though, personally, I like spiders. I don't have a problem with them. But giant spiders, like the ones I have out my trees that are, you know, two feet tall, I might have a little more of an issue with. I, I probably would get a broom and shoo them out if it ever happened that I ran across one. It's also bad luck, by the way, to kill a spider, just in case you're curious. Plus, when you look at a spider close up, they do look a little creepy. They've got those fangs and all those little beady eyes and the eight leg thing going. But I still like them. I don't know about you. We'll counterbalance the spider by saying, even though they're creepy and scary, we've got Charlotte's Web, right? So spider advocates, there you go. So at this point, I am going to say happy Halloween, happy haunting. Enjoy your paranormal pets. And hopefully we'll get a few more episodes out uh, this month because, my friends, this is our time to shine. Don't forget your animal rescues and enjoy your pet costumes. Uh, Personally, I'm going to dress my little girls up in ghost costumes. We'll see how this works out this year. Take care, and we'll see you next episode. Pet Life Radio presents Paranormal Pets where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. 
Step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.